when I was, I think, in sixth grade, I went to, or fifth grade, I believe fifth grade, I went to a camp called Camp Shatek. And I was at a Baptist church at the time. Does anybody know Camp Shatek? Did anybody here go to camp? Ever? Yeah, there we go. All right. And I experienced something for the first time, and it was this. I was homesick. I was that kid who within 10 minutes was like, there's people are hitting each other with noodles and there's like cupcakes flying around and they you know and there's like ah, everybody's chanting songs and I'm like this is not safe. <laughs> I want to go home. I want to go home. Like every day they're like are you feeling better? I was like no, I want to go home still. And that last day at camp you're like I'm going home. This is great. And as I've gotten along this journey I've lived a lot of places but one thing Amy and I my wife and I moved back to Sioux Falls which is our home about two years ago two years ago May 4th and this startling thing happened which is having moved home I am homesick and I'm still homesick and I believe I don't know if it's a function of suffering or a function of getting older or a function of trying to create a home for our son and being like, wow, our, our home has problems. I don't, I don't know if that's okay to say in a place like this, but our home has problems. And, I, and I'm looking forward to home, that we are not there yet. And, I, and when I'm in those moments, um, and I'm in one right now, so you're getting that a little bit. Sorry, I, right out of the gate this way. It gets better. Uh, what we do, what we do and what I do, is we remember that we will go home. And we begin to look and remember that there is a feast with a placard with our name on it that we're going to be at. That we've been invited to and where we will take our place that is our home. When we are in distress or when we are feeling homesick, we look to that place and we remember, and this is what hospitality is, we remember that we are invited in, though we are unworthy, by someone with authority to invite us in. We are invited in, though we are unworthy, by someone with authority to invite us in. This is what I want to unpack this morning. We're going to do it through the lens of three feasts that we just read about in Luke chapter 14. If you have your bullets in there, that's great. Actually, the first of those feasts, this always happens with me, is before that text starts. You start to do your homework, you're like, oh, that part before, that's important. So if you have your Bible, Luke 14, and I have mine, Luke 14, uh, we're going to start with three feasts. We're going to speak about three feasts. I'm a little sick this morning, so forgive me for a runny nose. Feast number one, Jesus is clearing the air. First feast, Jesus is clearing the air. Let me find it here. Luke 14, beginning in verse 1. Here we come upon this scene where Jesus has been invited to a lead Pharisee's home. And because they hate him, everybody's watching him and trying to catch him doing something that he shouldn't be doing. And the first feast that we look at here is about Jesus clearing the air. It's like, let's just get a few things out of the way. That's what's happening in feast number one. It says this, on the Sabbath, because we love to try to trick Jesus on the Sabbath when you're not supposed to be doing stuff. He went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, or like a Captain Pharisee. <laughs> May that title never be applied to you. 
And they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy or had like swelling in his body. Automatically we know something's fishy because that Pharisee would never have that guy in his house unless he's trying to do something with Jesus. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees sitting there, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Because Jesus doesn't care about protocols, cares about people. And so he says, uh, is this okay to heal this guy? And they, what do they do? They remain silent. So like, ugh. Jesus took him and he healed him. And then he sent him away. Because he's like, dude, you're here for things that aren't about you. So one, I'm going to take care of you, and then I'm going to get you out of this messy situation as this all goes down. And the first thing, when Jesus is clearing the air, the first thing that he attacks is spiritual hypocrisy. He's like, spiritual hypocrisy is not going to be a part of who we are or what we do ever. We are never going to use people for things. Things are for people. So the first thing he does as he's clearing the air is he gets rid of hypocrisy. And as the text continues, as he gets him out of there, he says, which of you having a son or an ox that falls into a hole on the Sabbath would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And we might think, like, if it's my ox, I'd probably pull it out. If it's my teenager, like, we'll see you tomorrow, man. <laughs> we'll be right back. We will be right back. We love you so much. You just figure out what's going on in there. No, you get them out of there, right? You get them out of there. That's not fair. You get them out of there because Jesus' kingdom is about people. And in this particular context, he's breaking ceremonial laws because the law is about people. The people aren't about law. He didn't create a whole bunch of people. God didn't like, create us all so that we could keep and do this dance with his law. He created the law so that we would be healthy. It's about people. So the first thing is he's doing, clearing the air. He gets rid of hypocrisy. And the second thing is the text continues. It's like now he tells them a parable to those who are invited when he noticed that some of them chose the place of honor. And I don't think, I don't, I'm kind of curious at this point, like would it be good to be at a dinner party with Jesus? And the Christian answer is probably yes. But there's like a little like, yes? Because he's gonna, he just does stuff like, hey, you, I know, like that guy, you're sitting where you shouldn't be sitting. And it's like, oh, that is really uncomfortable. Please stop saying uncomfortable things. And he's like, you mean like this? You should be sitting down there. So he continues here. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by, the, by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. This is what he's doing. He gets rid of hypocrisy and he gets rid of pride. It's like in God's kingdom, in his house, we're not gonna be prideful people. When I was a Moody Bible Institute student, there's a banquet at the end of the year where all the seniors and some juniors, uh, juniors and seniors, and others are invited. And my senior year, it was at the Drake Hotel downtown because we had one of the classmates was really wealthy and she wanted to like spend $20,000 for us to have it there. Great. So we're there and it's this mass. Has anybody been to the Drake Hotel downtown Chicago? That's right. Uh, and we're in the ballroom and there's this just mass, it's just tables, massive. There's a thousand 
peep kids, young adults that are in this place. And it's like a first come, first serve seating. And so we're all like dolled up and the girls have their like fancy dresses and the guys have their cool suits or tuxedos. It was still cool. I think it was still cool to get a tuxedo at that point. I'm not sure what culture's doing now, but and they open the back doors and it's the front is way up there and we ran. We all just ran, like no dignity. Get the table. We had our crew, like our 12, that we're gonna sit at that table. And we got there and we're sitting, like if this is the head, we're sitting like right here. And all of our best friends are sitting here. But the organizers of the event forgot to save a table for some of the distinguished guests. Like we don't run into this kind of thing very often in our culture, but this table, they came up and like after the whole place is filled, they're like, excuse me, we need this table. And so like, ever, like it's starting and they're all like slowly getting up and doing this walk to the back, like you've gotta be kidding me. And it's a funny example, but the reality is like we don't experience this kind of thing very often where you like, there's a place, we don't, even, we don't honor anything. So there's not like a place that you can stand that is honorable. But if there were, this is the kind of thing that you're like, wherever you can find space as Christians, we take the low spot. We take the low spot. This is what God's kingdom is about. Like, we take the low spot and then we forget about it. Whereas like, I'm just gonna, I'm fine down here. The Lord will take care of this. So Jesus clears the air at this first feast. And everybody's a little bit kind of intrepidation. And we come to the second feast, which is where our text begins. And in the second feast, Jesus says, this is what Christian hosting is. This is who you should invite. And chapter 14, it's the beginning in our text there. Uh, chapter 14, verse 12. He, sa he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's become fashionable maybe in our current Christian moment to be building bridges, to, to do whatever we can to reach people relationally. It's fashionable to say, let's remove everything that is an obstacle for people. Let's go where they are and find them. But we must also remember this, that as Christians, this may be simple, Christians are different than the world. We're a different kind of people than the world. We are not the world. We do not invite people to parties because of what they can do for us. And I don't need to, presumably, I don't need to spend time talking about all the ways that he's, all the things he's not saying right here. Like, of course, it's okay to invite your friends over, of course, blah, blah, blah. I can say, oh, we don't need to do that, right? What he's saying is the church invites people who don't belong. And then there's this, like, huge caveat where we, where we who know Jesus say, that's everybody. We all don't belong. But the people who don't belong know. This is why Jesus can say, blessed are the poor. And this is why wealthy people need relationships with the poor. Because you're like, you know something about the king. It's not that you're better. It's not that the poor are better than the rich. It's that the poor have to depend on God for everything. And so we are in relationship with the poor because they can teach us, I need God. Right? And everybody needs him. 
So I just want to ask, this might be kind of foolish, but I'm just wondering, who here has a, one or more relationships with people who don't know Jesus? Does anybody here have one or more relationships with people who, this is a, this is a tricky one because you can accidentally not. I don't know if this has happened in my spiritual journey. There have been seasons where people are like, you should be witnessing. I'm like, all I got is like shotgun witnessing because I don't know anybody. I'm just like walking up to a random guy and be like, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, like in high school, I'm at a Christian boarding high school. I live in the middle of South Dakota. There's nobody else around. And all I got is like a track meet where I, I decide I'm going to witness. And I walk around looking for this guy to witness to. This is, I don't know if you guys ever had to go through this, but I had to go through this. I'm like a witness. And you're like looking at it. I think it's that guy. Okay, I've never done this before. And you walk over and it's under the bleachers and then like the four by eight is being run right now. And you're like, what's going on? This guy's resting. You're like, excuse me. And he's like, oh, what's that? What? And I'm like, do you know Jesus? And he's like, yep. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> and that's it. And that's all you got. If you don't know people, you're just like, <laughs> I'm glad to see as many hands here that we know people. We know people that Jesus is inviting in. There is not, Christian hospitality isn't just like have parties. Christian hospitality is eternal and focused and finding the outsider and saying, you are coming over. You are coming over here. It is to intentionally build relationships with people who are of no advantage to you. People who do not matter. There's, we used to call, my friends and I used to call this, we are looking for the strangers and the strange. You're looking for people who don't belong anywhere, and you're looking for the weird ones. <laughs> you're saying, you belong here. And I can joke about that because I've been that guy. <laughs> I've been that guy. I, and people feel like you haven't been that guy. I'm like, let's just trust me on this. I've been that guy. I've been alone. And I've been odd. I'm only 38, but it sure feels like it's getting harder out there. It's getting lonelier out there. It's getting more isolated out there. And it's the church's call to go find people and bring them home. We're different. And one of the things, it, one of the things I want to bring to a point here is many things about Christianity are hard to pin down. Like, it's a journey. Okay, that's awesome. We're on a journey. Um, we're, we have faith. Like, what does your faith look like? And you could talk about it. We, we pray. How's your prayer life? And you're like, I don't know how to measure that, but I can say, like, I love Jesus, and I speak to him, and, and he speaks to me. But hospitality is very measurable. Has somebody been sitting at your table? Is there an outsider who doesn't belong to Jesus who's been sitting at your table? That's very measurable. And this is the point of hospitality, that Jesus is calling us to call people of no consequence to the world to be sitting in our home. When I lived in LA, I spent 18 months-ish in LA, and I sat at somebody's dinner table one time. Now, this is the Midwest, a little different, but it can also, if you're not from here, it can be tough to crack into the Midwest. We like each other a lot. We like our tribe. And there's a place at your table for somebody out there. Jesus, in the second feast, is saying, here's who you invite. And the third feast, he says, 
Firstly, he clears the air, no hypocrisy, no pride. Secondly, he says, here's who you invite. And thirdly, he tells a story about who he invites, who he invites. It begins in, in verse 15. He says, when those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, this is funny to me because this feels like if you're watching a sitcom, this is a character who just like randomly says stuff and everybody's kind of quiet and like, why does that guy keep saying stuff? Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's like, <laughs> even, okay. You good? All right. Like, why, what are you talking about? Like, it's true. Like, it's true. It's like the random spiritual thing that just gets thrown in the mix. That's kind of like what, I don't know if you ever had a white noise bomb where somebody's like, and they, they get done talking and everybody's like, okay, and what we were saying before, you know, it just like fills the space with nothing. So he says this and Jesus is like, okay, let's do this again. And he tells this story. And there's this twofold invitation. He has this party and he tells people there's going to be a party. And then when the party's prepared, he says, it's time to come to the party. And all these people who had been invited, they're like, yep, got your invitation. And then when it's time to come, they are making excuses. I can't be there. Um, the people who are supposed to be there make excuses and aren't at the party. And so then he says, okay, let's go get them. And he tells his kind of captain host guy, go get them. Go get them. People who are supposed to be there don't. So he looks at his preparation. He looks at his table. And he says, go find people to come. Uh, verse 21. Then, so the servant came and reported these things. And the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and, what's the word? And, and what? Anybody? Compel people to come in. Go out and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Um, if you're one of these people, um, this, is a, this is a bit of an odd, since we don't have many dinner parties, I don't know, do people have dinner parties anymore? I found myself in Vancouver, British Columbia during grad school coming to a party. It was, the, it was one of the only times that I've come to a party and I was unprepared. Uh, and it is a, it's not a great feeling to show up at a party unprepared. But these, this is who we're talking about in this text. When you show up and it's like, you're walking in, you're like, am, am I one of the guys that's supposed to be here? Because this is like a really nice feast and I was literally just mowing my yard, and now I'm here with you, and you said I could be here, but are you sure? We're in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, our incoming graduate-level class was broken into small groups, and my small group leader was Sarah Williams. And Sarah Williams was uh, the—Oxford is broken into many different colleges, but at this number two college, she was the highest-ranking professor, and her college, when she started teaching, was like the 23rd. And so in three years, she brought her student population up to the, like, the second highest in the school. They're Oxford British. If you want to feel like a barbarian, talk to somebody who's Oxford British. We're sitting in their living room. There's 18 of us. There's uh, people from New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, um, many Americans who hated America and don't want to live here. And they're like, can't you believe America is the worst? And I'm like, I kind of like it. <laughs> uh, but OK, there's some hard things. 
And uh, Paul is the husband and his wife, Sarah, and they have kids and their daughter was six years old at the time. And I knew it was bad because I was talking to Amelia, she's six, and she could not understand what I was saying. And she, I would talk to her and she would like have this paralyzed look on her face. Like she'd look at her dad and be like, I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> That's like a Welsh accent, but they, uh, but I'm just like, oh. And then Paul, of course, throws this little grenade in the room. He's like, hey, Dave, no, no, this was intentional. Hey, Dave, what do you think about the Second Amendment? Because nobody there, you know, the rest of the world doesn't have guns and like most of the Americans. Are. And I'm like, great, thanks, Paul, for putting me in this situation. But we had arrived, my friend and I had arrived, and we didn't think about a dinner party. We just came, like, hey, could you bring a salad? I'm like, sure. Could you bring something to drink? That's my friend. Sure. We stop, he gets a two liter of Coke, I get like spinach in a plastic thing, and we show up, and it's like, we made a mistake. <laughs> We, we shouldn't be here with these things. And Sarah, because she's brilliant, is like, those are perfect. Whoop, and just makes them into something wonderful. And I'm sitting there eating this out. I'm like, who made this? And she's like, you, you made that. <laughs> you're the one that brought that. And I'm like, I did not. But there's this thing that happens when you walk into a room and you're like, I don't belong here. And there's another thing that happens when the host says, you belong here. Like, I don't... I made a mistake. <laughs> I know I was invited and I responded, and now I'm in your living room, but I definitely shouldn't be here. And the host says, this is my house, and I say that you get to be here. And so even if, and in the parentheses, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, you brought a crappy salad, Dave. You don't belong here, but I say that you belong here, and that makes you belong here. Even if somebody else at the party is like, that guy doesn't belong here, the host says, that guy belongs here, and you belong here, so you guys better figure this out. I'm, the host is the one who says, I have the authority to determine who sits at this table, and I say, you get to be here. So Jesus says, bring the lame, bring the broken, bring the blind, bring those people that are just far out there that are not looking and compel them to come home. This is who Jesus invites to the feast. And so I'll just close now with three kind of quick application points. One is this, that we as a church, as the people of God, cannot begin to offer true Christian spiritual hospitality. We cannot offer people the hospitality of heaven unless we have experienced the hospitality of heaven. We cannot offer that which we don't have. And so it begs the question, do you know that you have a seat at the table? You who are kind of messed up and have secrets and are broken and darkened and get confused on Monday and get straightened out on Tuesday and are falling on your face on Wednesday, do you know that you have a seat at the table because Jesus says you have a seat at the table. Have you said yes to that? Have you said you're right? Because the next thing that happens is, secondly, that when we know we have a seat at the table, then we have authority. Then the authority of Jesus rolls to us, and we begin to have authority to say who gets to be at the table as well. When I set a table at my house and we invite people in, I get to be like a picture of Jesus and say, you get to be here. You who don't have a home or you who are isolated or you who are super wealthy and you don't know anybody. 
come into my home and experience the love of God. I have the authority to do that because I have received that from Jesus. And thirdly and lastly, I'll just maybe leave us with this question. If, if we're not just doing a sermon series on five things, because we don't, who cares? We're doing what we care about. If this church cares about hospitality, the follow-up question is, who is the one that we are compelling to come in? Is there somebody that Jesus is putting on your heart to say, not just, hey, you should come in, but like compelling. Who are we compelling to come in? Let me finish us in prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you that in your wisdom, you sent Jesus into the world to go find those who don't belong and with your own authority to bring us into your house and to put us at the table. We look forward to the day when we will sit in glory with you. And Father, I praise you that there will not be one empty seat at the eternal banquet. There will not be one empty seat. But if there's somebody that you have given us to compel to be seated at that table that is not yet there, would you give us, give us authority to speak into those people's lives and bring them home? Pray these things in Jesus' name.